Hi there, welcome along to Outdoor Gear Chat. This is episode 23, which is just frankly ridiculous, Kathy. And, <laughs> and we're talking about kit lists for Everest Base Camp is going to be the subject today. So I am joined as always by Kathy. Hiya. Hi, hi Wayne. How are you doing? Oh, awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, good. You? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Really cool. Actually, I'm really looking forward to this one um, because uh, we have so many customers come into our shops um, who are just living their dream and booking trips to every space camp and, uh, and and needing to buy a great kit so they can enjoy their trips. Um, so I thought we'd do uh, one specifically about this particular trip. And uh, to help us along our way, we have Paul Pool from Pool Pool Mountaineering. And I'm going to spell that in a minute because it, uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> it means you can Google the right person. Um, but Paul runs trekking trips to trek into every space camp and uh, has a huge experience so to to have him with us today just to to talk about what people can expect and what sort of kit to use in general terms is going to be super super beneficial um so paul welcome good evening how are you <laughs> yeah great great to have you here um and to find your website people will need to type in paul as in p-a-u-l followed yes. by pool as in p-o-o-l-e and it's called pool mountaineering isn't it that's correct yeah if you just type that in you'll find me dead easily yeah. brilliant brilliant so how many times have you been on the everest or taken uh, to base camp uh well, that's a good question um, <laughs> I'm very sure, actually. um i thought I we'd kick off with the tough one sorry <laughs> yeah this is the one i can't answer uh, well i was saying just before we, we, we started recording you were like yeah i've been i've been to morocco 20 times and i thought oh he's got a real a real a real office oh no uh i've been going i've been i think the first time i went there was about 20 just over 20 years ago so wow. uh, yeah i've been on a few personal trips uh yeah. some of them have probably been quite long and then uh, been working out there for a number of occasions now and this was i was going in actually in a month's time um and normally it's like uh the last trip i did was literally the year before covid and then we're going to go in covid and we've had a team ready and we've been delaying and then this is year three and now we're all ready to go so um, we've had our flights changed numbers of times it's been a bit carnage this year with flights and so we've all been tentatively waiting for like um i suppose qatar air to drop a, a flight again but so far fingers crossed we're on schedule and we're heading out um the last week of october so yeah we're looking forward to it Awesome. Oh, fingers crossed, fingers crossed, which actually sort of leads in nicely. I'm going to steal your first question as well, right away. <laughs> no, no. I'm stealing this one this evening. Um, but uh, you're off, off out at the end of October and there's obviously diff definite times to go and visit and mm. do this trek to get the absolute best weather. What kind of times of year are they? So there's sort of two main times to the trekking season in Nepal. I mean, you, you sort of could go any time of the year, I suppose, but like the main ideal times of like april to may and then sort of october and november and you know you can slide it a little bit like march through to the end of may you could sort of go in end of september um but there's a couple of like good reasons for those periods of time and nepal sort of has these seasons and they're quite like rigid unlike us you know and you can they can almost like um <clears throat> highlight the month and tell you what the weather is exactly going to you know what day of the month it's actually going to change and so like around, um, if, if I took this time of year first, they've just coming out of the monsoon. And so you've just got this amazing time to go when the, the, the sky is really clear. So basically the monsoon's cleared the sky. And so you get these beautiful like crystal blue sky, sunny days. Um, 
And so I think this, for me, is the perfect time to go. Um, the clarity is just incredible. You can literally stand up on the high, pa high passes and some of the peaks and you can see a long way. I mean, an awful long way. And I think, interestingly, like Kathmandu is, um, you know, it's kind of a developing city in the respect of its, um, you know, it's quite dirty and it's quite smoggy. And But through COVID, when there was no one moving around, you know, you could actually see the greater ranges, the Himalayas totally from Kathmandu. There was these beautiful photographs put up and it was wow. just incredible. Um, so October, November to me is like the best time to go. April, May is still really good. Um, you know, they're dry. Both these seasons are dry. You just have a little bit more, um, I suppose the photographs aren't so good. <laughs> There'll be <laughs> less blue skies. I mean, it'll still be sunny, but there's a bit of a haze in the air, I guess, um, unless you're going super high. Um, but there's just a bit more of a haze. So for me, like October, November is the perfect time to go. And we're not just talking, yeah, we're not just talking a week to 10 days worth of trekking, are we? Just for the for the numpties like me, I guess, who <laughs> might be listening about or, or being inspired by a trip to Everest Base Camp for the first time. What's what's sort of involved in it? What you know, where where do we go from and to? You mentioned Kathmandu there. Um, yeah. so, how long? Yeah, it's I think as long as you can go for really, it's a hell of a way to go for a start. I mean, um, mm. You know, you jump on an international flight, it's like seven hours to the Middle East, Middle East, Turkey. Those are sort of, sort of the main transit sort of airports, I guess. And then there's another additional, I don't know, six hours, five, six hours or something on top. Um, so you sort of arrive, you arrive in Kathmandu sort of relatively jaded, I think. I think if you have um, a couple of weeks, you know, two weeks would be a minimum. But really, you know, after that flight, it's great to be able to have a day or two in Kathmandu just to sort of get over it. Because mm -hmm. otherwise you sort of jump straight into a trek and you, you, you're sort of fairly tired just from the journey in period. Um, and in that two week frame, so if you talk about every space camp as a sort of traditional route, it's quite a linear route. It's up and down uh, the same way. Um, and in terms of the altitude and so on, two weeks with international flights is quite tight. Mm -hmm. So if you sort of booked your holiday time and you fly on a Saturday and you come back on a Sunday, it is quite a tight window with the altitude. And I think also there's all these other factors as well, isn't it? You know, it's different, it's different culture, it's different food. I mean, landing in Kathmandu, if you haven't been to a developing country before, I mean, it's, it's, um, it is an eye opener. I mean, it's an incredible place, but it's very, very different to going to other places. Yeah. Um, and so, you understand the word culture shock when you arrive somewhere like that yeah, as well, don't you? You're like, wow, okay, then yeah. I do. Yeah. I mean, I always, I kind of always find, find it quite amusing because, you know, Kathmandu has an international airport, but um, it's fairly old. I mean, if you sort of imagine four, uh, four walls of red bricks, it's kind of what it's like. Um, and somehow you sort of work your way through it and you sort of come out of the other end. It's all, it's all fairly chaotic inside. It's not like, um, a refined airport that perhaps we expect it to be um, you wonder how your bags get to you and you just sort of, sort of have to sit back and let it all happen and somehow you come out of the airport and then you're instantly exposed to Kathmandu I mean <clears throat> I mean most international airports have um, around it the infrastructure around it is well set up good roads nice buildings and so on not Kathmandu you know you, you're straight into that sort of the city and straight into the culture and it's just brilliant like it's absolutely brilliant so I think you kind of need a bit of time to sort of soak yourself into all that um, before or after, you know, but um, otherwise you miss a big part of the trick, I, uh, the trek, I think. Yeah, I so, love yeah. the bonkers of, of landing in uh, Asian countries. It's just just absolutely crazy. And, and one of the things 
Um, I haven't been to Kathmandu yet. I'm hoping to go next year. Um, but but one of the things that sort of I've seen with it, um, some of the airports like in at Delhi, it's got more and more sterile in the sort of 25, 30 years since I first went. And I, it, it just detracts so, so much from the whole experience. But just, yeah, just being dropped straight in it, the noise, everything, you know, is just fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I, kind of, I kind of sort of talk about the meerkat thing, you know, you're just sort of like on your haunches. Yeah, looking around, yeah, looking around <laughs> everything that's going on, yeah. And well, even though let's, you're like totally knackered, you're still like, what was going on? Yeah, and that's everything's dead dead alert, yeah, and you start yeah. trying to soak everything. So, yeah, I mean, we could talk about that for ages, I know, and I'd mm. love to hear more about that, but onto the the sort of the expedition side, the kitness yeah. side, if you will. So if, if I'm if I'm planning on going out there with, with yourself to, yeah, spend a couple of weeks walking up to base camp what's what's the sort of what 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 would be the the essentials where would I start so I think yeah coming back to I think coming back to that time frame I think two weeks is tight and there's no flex in the itinerary um in the respect of like if you need a bit of time to acclimatize further so uh, there's no flex in that so it's not as if you can sort of go back down and come back up again uh you're generally in every space camp you're generally going to be flying into Leclerc uh look clear is a line of sight airport there's no radar etc so they basically need to see the airport to be able to land and take off and you do have do have clouds coming in um and sometimes you know you're unable to fly from look clear so if you're on a two-week agenda <clears throat> you can you can have sort of a logistical problem if you're not careful mm-hmm. so for for me i think to go all that way to look at a three-week itinerary which won't be a lot more in in financial cost uh, there's a huge benefit to it. There really is because like it gives you a better time to acclimatize to the altitude. So therefore like you have more days in the itinerary. Um, it gives you opportunities to rest appropriately. And then that's also potentially builds in the flex if you need to. So if you need on those days that potentially like a rest day, we have the ability to sort of go back down and come back up again if we have right. to. <clears throat> and then additionally at the end, there's a couple of days uh, buffer essentially if ca- in case the Lukla flight doesn't fly so like today if I was flying to Lukla from Lukla to back to Kathmandu to get my international flight tomorrow which is what you would do on an international journey if my flight doesn't go today I'm sort of stuck whereas on a three-week window you know we build a buffer in between the Lukla flight and your international flight so there's lots of there's lots of good benefits and I think the altitude profile is like the key one i mean you kind of got to go there and enjoy it i mean you've got to go to the greater ranges i sort of see the the greater ranges of pilgrimage you know if you have a passion for mountains you enjoy mountain walking and then at some point you need to go and see these big hills you know there's a few there's a few of them around in the in the world and you know the himalayas is one of them and every space camp the kumbu that sort of area is you know a classic place to sort of visit because it's just you know however many times i've been there it's just incredible but the altitude profile and there's lots of guidance about it um, and I, I foolishly, I think on one of my first trips as a personal trip, I had a race with the Sherpas. Um, and so that day, yeah, it wasn't, didn't work out too much. Yeah, uh, bright idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was coming. But, um, but back in the day, you know, you, I was just as an independent, you just sort of like left the tea house and then go higher to the next village. You sort of needed to get there early because the higher you go, there's less tea houses, there's less beds. It's just, you know, um, it's kind of simple maths. And so you needed to get there relatively early to secure yourself a bed. Otherwise, you you know, you just couldn't get any higher. So there was one particular place where I was like, I have to go at sunrise and I have to like get ahead of the shepherds. There was no mobile phones. 
these days the Sherpa's phone ahead and stuff. So they didn't have them then. So it literally was, you know, the sunrise, the Sherpas would be legging out the door to go to the next village to go and get this, the beds. And I was like, right, I'm having you, I'm on your tails. And then I legged it up and it was up to about 5,000 meters and I was fine, got there relatively all right and um, did all right with the Sherpas, but um, got bed. And then like in the afternoon, oh boy, I got absolutely, absolutely destroyed. I was basically like horizontal, like pounding headache. And essentially I'd just gone too fast. And um, I was really lucky with some strong painkillers and some rest. And then I had to descend the next day, but my lesson was learned basically, you know, if yeah, you, sort you, can't, of like you can't mess yeah. with it, can you? It's like no, a proverbial I mean, baseball bat around the head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fact, you can have as many painkillers as you want and, and much fluid as you want, but ultimately it's not going to go away. So. No, no. <laughs> so um, if you were um, uh, heading out, um, I mean, the altitude, obviously you're going up to sort of 5,300 uh, 5, mm. metres, aren't you? So there's a lot to take into account there. So you want your kit probably not wanting to carry a huge amount particularly if you're no. working with sherpas you're probably just wanting to carry a day pack i would imagine yeah um so what kind of size rucksack would um folks be thinking about taking if they're going on an organized trip yeah i think if on an organized trip you don't really need a great deal i mean you just need sort of like a 30 i mean a 30 35 liter rucksack I think it's interesting for me, I've seen lots of different brands over the over the recent years where you have a 30 litre rucksack and you sort of go between them and they're all like radically quite different in capacity. Ah, yeah, there's but, no industrial norm for sizing a rucksack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. So I think you just need like a good day pack that you sort of use in the UK mountains. You don't really need a great deal. It just, it just basically essentially have like your sort of sun protection, which I'll, I'll sort of mention a bit, a bit later on um you need like your warm kit so like a warm jacket uh your fluids any sacks for day your camera personal medication those are sort of the key things really so you don't really need a big bag i mean if you're on a supported trip then your porters are there to help you and you know they're there you know they're they're keen everyone's up for the same thing and it's about reaching your objective and getting you safely back off the mountain and so it's like a team effort it's never an individual thing it's a big team effort and so the porters are well up for it. I mean, absolutely well up for like helping you and that and the help they offer is by carrying your, your sort of main baggage, I suppose, your sleeping mm-hmm. bag and all your spare clothes, etc. Um, so a 30 litre bag is 35, something like that. Absolutely fine. I think the temptation is if you go bigger, then you just put more stuff in. You just fill it, <laughs> don't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and, you know, everything, every gain you can have on altitude um, is really important. So the less kit you can carry, will help yeah and the hydration side of things is critical to helping your body cope um and make all those extra red blood cells that you need at, at altitude yeah. as well and um, yeah, totally. so that that is absolutely uh, absolutely key and um purifying that water as well <laughs> so yeah, with think, the nasties i think yeah Kathmandu is a is an interesting place and then as soon as you get in the hills like things are really good you know the hygiene aspect is 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 pretty decent to be fair um, I've certainly been ill in the valleys a few times, like in Kathmandu, but I've never been ill or had anyone in the team or been around anyone who's been ill in the hills. Um, they're generally good at the food prep, as in like, you know, being hygienic about it. They use a lot of like sterilised water in, in different ways. They provide you with lots of fluid as well. I think that's really good because like you can purchase as much hot, hot water as you want and hot fluids as you want. But in terms of filling out your water bottle, every tea house will offer you free water. 
And so like this idea of fluid and altitude, it's really important that you sort of like make those gains during the day to sort of like, um, like take on as much as you can, like before and after. I mean, you sort of like end up having to like uh, have a disturbed sleep in some respects because like your body is higher. So it's just naturally dehydrating. And then when you go to sleep at night, you, again, you're naturally dehydrating. And so you sort of need to keep drinking. And so this, I'm getting a bit older as well. So naturally, yeah, I just, you just need to go wee everywhere. Yeah. But like, um, I find myself like having like to get up like, I don't know, two, three, four times in the night. And it's a pain in the ass because obviously it's quite cold. Uh, you got to get out of a nice warm sleeping bag and then you've got to, like do the sort of like the 3 a.m shuffle down to the toilet and but that's good that's a good thing mm. <laughs> so this water <laughs> idea of but it's just that sort of inconvenience in the middle of the night and then obviously your roommate does it as well and, <laughs> and then the rest of the tea house does it and it's all a bit loud and clunky so <laughs> so you were talking about your, the stuff that you your size of your rucksack there and one, one of the questions i had is and look, looking on your website as well about different weather conditions is it do, do you have to pack for every season or is it relatively like like you're saying relatively stable in those windows yeah so both of those sort of main trekking seasons are dry um you know you, you could always have an occasional shower i, I honestly can't think of remember the last time i had a, any rain there um within the within the actual mountain trekking i've definitely had some like light snow like late november so you're coming into the winter uh so late november we've been like leaving and there's been some light snow high up but that's the only time i've ever had moisture i mean generally like down in the lower valleys you've sort of arriving lookla and it's about um it's about two eight something like that two thousand eight hundred meters and then you drop down into the valley towards packeting is probably the classic sort of village to go and stay at which is a little bit lower, 2.6. And it's really hot. It's a forested area and it's a really hot area. So like for a couple of days, it's sort of a bit strange because you sort of prepare yourself for these big mountains and as you jump out of the aircraft, you are surrounded or you started to be surrounded by these big towering peaks, which are all snow-capped, etc. So you naturally think it's going to be a bit chilly, but you know, you're super high, UV is like getting to you quicker and, and down in the forest, it just captures the sun. It really mm -hmm. captures it and captures the heat. So it's like super hot down there, like a t-shirt is all you need. And then as you as you ascend, sort of like go past about three, three and a half thousand meters, the, the forest change, you kind of get more of this like dry, uh, open tundra, alpine tundra almost. And uh, and there it changes, Dem everything changes. Uh, so, you know, the temperature, you'll feel the temperature difference because you, you're not really being sheltered by the forest anymore. And there's definitely like often like sort of the, the winds coming off the mountain. You know, not super strong, but they, they definitely have a bit of a bite in the air. Um, so I, gen I generally have got like, you know, kit sort of does a bit of both. So a bit of hot mm -hmm. weather um, and then like sort of... A like, bit of wind protection maybe, but yeah, yeah, windproof. Yeah, warm, and, warm and windy protection basically is what mm. I'm after. And so, so would you recommend um, folks take a, a full set of waterproofs um, just to sort of protect from the cold at night because obviously it does get as you get higher it starts getting very very cold at night yeah so it's, it's always an interesting one I, I do have like a summer weight pair of yeah. waterproofs trousers yeah. and top but they're just like a summer weight they're not like a mm. um, sort of Scottish winter mm. hardcore sort of layering they're just summer and and I only ever wear I've only ever worn the jacket but only on occasions um, so I've never worn the trousers but I'm sort of like, I suppose it's like, um, I'm be pushing my luck. I suppose if I leave them out, I'm going to need them, aren't I? So I, I do sort of just take them now as a, like my like good luck charm. And I do sort of advise people to have a, like a, a light windproof 
waterproof sort of shell layer primarily for like the wind in case like people run a bit cold mm-hmm. um and then that'll be really sensible um but beyond that um i'm not expecting it to rain i'm expecting it to be nice yeah. <laughs> that's part of the reason <laughs> i go actually on every trip it's <laughs> yeah. amazing <laughs> Yeah, sign me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in on that as well. So, and then that, that's that's made me just yeah think of uh, like in, in differently, I guess, as far as footwear goes as well. Because yeah, mm. one, of the, one of the obvious questions for us is yeah, what, well, do I need to wear boots? Do they need to be crampon compatible, or what? What sort of footwear do I need to be uh, taking over there with me? Yeah, so I, I suppose like ultimately it will depend on your objective. So. You know, there's a few technical walking peaks, for example, which do require like a mountaineering boot and a mountaineering compatible cramp on um, just for like the last few days. But generally speaking, anything trekking wise, you know, you just need something like something super flexible and super comfy. I mean, I only go out with like a sort of summer B1 type boot. Mm -hmm. So and I think the most important thing is around all of this is that it's just comfy Yeah. because like. And I've worn approach shoes sometimes. The path is really yeah, well maintained. Yeah. And so I've just worn approach shoes. And so the daily distances aren't particularly huge. I mean, four to six K sometimes. Some of the bigger days, and there's only a couple of them generally in an itinerary, uh, might be about 10 to 14 K. Mm. But generally, like, because of the altitude, you just can't keep putting, like, big distances mm. in. Yeah, and so yeah. the distance is quite short. But cumulatively over, you know, a two or three week period, you know, you, you do actually travel some distance. And so this comfort thing is the most important thing. So super comfy. Um, I think like sort of that B2 type boot just for a trek is just really is overkill. And, you know, your feet, um, your feet will swell to the altitude. You know, you're going to get foot sores if you're not careful. So you're just looking for something that is super comfy and allows your foot to like walk naturally. And in terms of crampons, sorry, in terms of crampons, I was just going to say on that, because there's one or two places you can go over high passes and there's a bit of snow and ice on them. And uh, I just use micro spikes. So Mm -hmm. just take some like pavement crampons, micro spikes, um, and um, away you go. And and if you forget, in Namshi Bazaar, which is like sort of a a main focal point, I suppose, it's more like the clamberis of the area. uh you can get everything and they've even got like, homemade crampons which is just you know absolutely hilarious no, the fair play they're pretty good i mean they cost a couple of quid and they'll probably break <laughs> hopefully not on the on the snow and ice but they do tend to break and but they'll last like, long enough yeah these homemade fangs and homemade chains cha- chains putting all together it's very amusing but yeah so if you forget uh you can get those or actually these days you can actually last time I was there you can actually get all the branded micro spikes it's right. incredible and they don't look fake either because, you know, a lot of stuff comes across the border yeah. and a lot of it's a bit fake. From what I can see, it they look pretty decent. So, yeah, so comfy boots, micro spikes, amazing. And I guess that's the thing, isn't it? No, that's why I, I always get into my head is and, and, and from back in my walking days, as, as I call them, so <laughs> wearing big, heavy boots and just being miserable by the end of the day because yeah. you've been wearing big, heavy boots, whereas now yeah. I wear, like, like you say, I just wear lightweight trail shoes all the time. Yeah. And it's a part far more pleasant experience, just even even for me with a bit bit of experience. Yeah. I think if you if you're going for those sort of um, more technical peaks where you need those winter mountaineering boots, then you know, most people tend will try and walk in in a pair of boat shoes in into it. So you've got that comfort. It all comes down to packing though, because like um luckily there's quite strict sort of weight restrictions on it all. So there's weight restrictions on two things, Lucla flight and porters. So on, on the Lucla flight. 
your hand luggage and your hold luggage so essentially your day rucksack and like your hold all mm. has to be 15 kilograms so that is quite a challenge you know, yeah it's tight in, isn't it yeah, yeah wow yeah. It is. I mean, if you start putting a chunky sleeping bag in and a mountaineering boot and a, and a, and a big crampon, I mean, yeah. you're taking up a lot of weight really quickly. Yeah, suddenly all that's gone. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, so you sort of get on the flight wearing a lot of stuff, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, wad- waddling on. Yeah, and then quickly, like, drowning sweat and trying to, like, <laughs> ditching layers as you're on the plane. Brilliant. Well, that, yeah. and that sort of comes back, you know, following that line of questioning around uh, sort of equipment and kit that I'm wearing. Do you, is it is a down jacket an essential piece of kit? You know, that sort of, that, that, that's, that, that sort of warmth. Is that something that we need? I think, yeah, I think you definitely need a, a, a decent warm jacket. Um, so clearly, obviously, temperature drops as you gain height, but the evenings are really cold. So... Uh, the days, like I say, down low are hot. And then as you go up high, um, you still have this like heat uh, and you can still get this cold air coming off, but it's dry. The whole air is dry. It's very different to sort of a, a European type temperature of hot and cold. And so even though it might feel a bit chilly, it's a different, it definitely feels different. So I don't actually often walk in like sort of a, a really warm jacket. I don't have the need to. It's only if it, if it becomes overcast and the sun sort of gets hidden by the clouds then yeah, the temperature difference is quite noticeable. I think like, um, you know, nighttime is probably where jackets are really good. I mean, if you're in tea houses and you have like this communal area where you're around um, uh, a wood burner, which is fueled by yak dung, uh, which is, uh, <laughs> you come home, when you come back to, it's, when you come back to the UK, you realise that when you unpack your bag in the lounge, and you're like, oh my God, what is that? Well, it's impregnated everything. Yeah, yeah I've, had, I've yeah. had a few, yeah. few trips yeah. there than that oh, unpacked when I've got yeah. home thinking, yeah, everything's pretty clean. And then you're unpacking <laughs> the home environment and think, oh, <laughs> maybe I'll it's do this right in the garage. You, you, you adjust, don't you? Of course you do. But <laughs> it's when you get home, it's like, ooh, right, that's a bit ripe. Um, <laughs> But, you know, in the evenings, I mean, it's just brilliant to go outside the tea houses. I mean, there's no light pollution. And it's one of the few places, I think, apart from a desert um, where it's just incredible. But, like, it's one of the few places where you can, you can get away. I mean, last time we saw we saw the Milky Way, it just followed us. We just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And you could see it, like, probably the most clearest I've ever seen it in my whole life, just by the naked eye. You didn't need cameras. And if you had a camera and you put it on a long exposure for, like, a minute... Oh my God, you're getting like this world-class photograph. Oh, away. well, I, mean, I thought you were going to say it didn't work. It's one of those where it's just for your eyes. Sort of thing, isn't it? But yeah. it's, where, it's where you need the warm jacket. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I normally take a bit down and I normally take a bit of synthetic. So I normally have like a warm, in my day bag when I'm trekking, I normally have like a warm 60 gram sort of Primaloft type jacket. So it's like my warm jacket. And then sometimes when I'm a bit high, if it's a bit cloudy and I've got something nice and warm to wear. Um, and then I have a down jacket as well. Uh, just sort of like a summer weight down jacket nothing too heavy uh, and then I use that in the hut and then if I had like a if I wanted to go out and see the Milky Way for an hour or two I might find myself like looking like that sort of snowman with like two jackets on big and bulky but um, but it's worth probably worth thinking about what you do take because your kit will take a hammer in mm. I mean there's all this UV uh, you're much higher there's lots of dust you're sweating heavily in things mm. And so it's well worth thinking about what you take. Um, and so I do tend to not go and purchase something new that's quite expensive and take my best thing out. I tend to take things out that, you know, I've been wearing for a while and I'm not too worried. I mean, I I, um, <laughs> I sort of uh, couldn't really shave the last time I was out there. And I, I like shaving, but I couldn't really shave. So I ended up with this like full on beard thing 
going on it and um but like I <laughs> yeah like, I was doing my head in. it was absolutely like I don't like him anyway so the point was I had this really nice um really nice jacket that I'd bought like a bit before the trip so not only was it getting hammered by the UV and the dust and all my yeah. sweat but the beard basically did in like the whole cuff around the neck just scratching it yeah 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 it's, it's really irritating isn't it yeah it was pretty much like trash when I got back and I was like oh well I won't be doing that again so so it's definitely worth doing thinking about it and then I and I quite often get things like the down specifically professionally cleaned afterwards yeah especially the seat bag so then yeah. you know you can a liner as well couldn't you yeah yeah and you've just mentioned an, an, an important question as well so because kit is so expensive and if people don't have that sort of you know is it possible to hire it is it possible to is, is the businesses around that do that or? yeah there is there's plenty there's plenty in Catman do that um hire things um there's a couple of companies in the uk as well um which worth yeah. looking into um Rab have uh, actually just started doing their own hire oh wow yeah yeah oh. so clothing packs tents sleeping bags the works yeah if you go on their website and just um uh, just plug in hire uh, yeah. or probably pop up in the top toolbar um and they've got a huge amount of stuff on there yeah yeah fantastic and you know a lot of these will do single items or like you know the package for ebc for example but in Kathmandu, yeah lots of things every, everything's for sale everything's for hire quite a bit is not necessarily genuine um but in terms of the cost um and the functionality brilliant and i think like i just said you know if you're going to take your own kit out then there's that hardship it's going to get a bit of a beating so just yeah indeed yeah yeah um and so, yeah, again, just on about conditions and a couple of questions along like UV and the sunlight and so on. You've mentioned like your personal sunscreen kit and I'm uh, yeah, intrigued, especially after we spoke to Barnaby from Julbo yeah, uh, recently. It was absolutely amazing, amazing about, um, yeah, about eye protection as well. So just, yeah, just a little, a little bit on that because I'm, I'm guessing, yeah, like you said, the higher you get up, the more prone we, 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 we're going to be particularly as a pasty pasty white skin as I've got <laughs> yeah no it's really important I mean um I think some you know a pair of sunglasses that you get at cheap 99p off a shop is just not good enough I mean the eyes are important uh they sort of need to be a minimum of a minimum category three yeah and so it's sort of this idea of like this visible light transmission and getting a darker tint and so on cat four is a little bit trickier now it seems a lot of manufacturers don't do them because some countries it's illegal to wear them when they're driving and so on but ultimately like this sort of uva uvb i think it's uvb isn't it? it's the worst so it's really worth investing in a good quality product and then protecting with an appropriate case as well because i've probably sat with a few things oh, and scratched <laughs> and yeah. so on yeah 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 <laughs> and then and, and it's a little detail really it's the detail it's like the gap at the side of the sunglasses Yes. You know, sometimes, you know, a pair of wraparounds is much better or you can go retro and get those little leather like bits that cover up the sides because the sun will come in and, and you will you will notice a difference. You'll be squinting a lot more. Mm. And then in addition to that is always things like lotions and potions and 50 would be ideal, minimum 30. Things mm. like lips, you know, lip seal with like sun protection. I've seen a lot of folk with poor, you know, really badly burnt lips. They've yeah. used lip seal, but there's no, there's no like sun protection in them. And then hats, sun hats. I even, um, I personally sort of don't wear shorts because I just want like less of my white body out as possible. Um, so it's just my face and my arms occasionally. Um, but I don't wear shorts for that reason. Um, and then like, again, I've seen lots of people with like using walking poles, which are amazing. Um, but they've forgotten to uh, lotion 
uh, and protect their wrists and their hands. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. And I've seen some really nasty folk with like some pretty bad, I wouldn't say burns as such, but pretty bad, pretty swollen wrists, which undoubtedly would be very, very uncomfortable. And then like uh, some moisturizer, you know, um, it's not something, it's not something you can kind of get showers now all the time. I mean, it's becoming more readily available and stuff. So like a lot of it is like um, sort of some sort of baby white wash, etc. But then you need to put that moisture back into your skin. So like mm. having moisturizer or something, whatever is your preferred potion. And Johnson's that, baby lotion wins every time johnson's <laughs> all the way yeah oh yeah yeah i got severely burnt um up inside my nose because i was on the glacier oh. um and i hadn't put lotion up inside my nose and because we were on snow for uh, for a couple of days yeah. yeah it burnt all up inside so i ended up with um basically looking like i got some kind of um horrendous skin disease all around <laughs> in a big disc around my nose and across my top lip and i thought oh that's it you know that's gonna yeah. it just looks so horrendous and um every night it stung like hell but <laughs> uh, i put um johnson's baby lotion that's all i had and i was just like lathering it on each night like wiping oh, yeah. the tears out of my eyes yeah. and, uh, but it it's works really, it works a treat it's really hard isn't it well. it's yeah. so hard i mean I, I i find i took all these things out last time and um stuff and uh, i took out dry shampoo last time as well oh, yeah. actually it was really useful yeah. <laughs> Yeah, First yeah, time yeah. Ever for me. <laughs> not that I've got my chair either, but yeah, you know, <laughs> it's for the chest, <laughs> yeah, the, chest <laughs> the legs, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you just mentioned trekking poles as well, but yeah, no, those are fairly those are an essential, pretty much, would you say, at the moment? Now, yeah, I, I agree, Wayne. I think they're really important. I mean, four legs are better than two for a start, yeah, absolutely. Um, my top phrase that one, love that, yeah. <laughs> um. But I mean, it really, you've just got an EBC is like an incredible amount of ascent and descent. It really is. And you're just going to get your, your, your knees really tired much quicker. And so these poles are hugely beneficial in reducing the impact. Um, but I think like, you know, I'm just sort of like throwing it back your way a little bit. You know, I think it's so important that like, you know, you, you sort of pop into a shop and you get it, you get the right size and then you go out in the UK and you learn how to use them properly, yeah. you know, yeah. for ascent and descent and so on. The walking poles have a lot of bizarre random uses as well, because <laughs> certainly as a woman, it's not easy to go to the toilet all the time yeah. when, yeah. in an area where there's no cover. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So they're quite handy to sort of just drape a jacket over <laughs> and create some privacy. That's a good idea. Um, like and I've actually had to use them for personal um uh defense before as well um so uh, yeah I, I i am a big advocate of the trekking pole <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm a huge fan i don't really use them in the uk um to be fair um i just don't um but like we yeah, overseas over there 100 percent starts out the aircraft put them on straight away and off we go <laughs> yeah but don't stick to suntan lotion your wrist because you your wrist yeah, <laughs> yeah. It it's a dead interesting one, isn't it? Because yeah, I've seen loads of people on various like national three peak attempts recently where they've only had one pole as well, and mm. like you know, it's like no, take two because like you said, then you've got four legs. It's like you, yeah, one <laughs> yeah. wasn't enough, or or they've just literally gone to a shop, bought them, and never actually had any practice, so they don't know how to use them. Or one of the greatest bits, I think we might have mentioned it before, Kathy, is wrapping duct tape round yeah. part of your pole. Yeah. that comes in so handy oh yeah yeah it, it, for for all sorts of reasons just having that rather than a, a whole great big chunky roll of the <laughs> yeah. stuff yeah, in definitely. your pack it was yeah absolutely brilliant so yeah and gloves uh, gloves then is that do i need gloves for it is there you know i i, I always take a pair of like merino layer mm. layer 
layer with me now because they're absolutely fantastic. But is 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 it something do you want? Yeah, would we take a, a set of primer loft gloves with us or something like that? Yeah, I think so. I just have something and, and nothing too bulky. I mean, if you're going up to EBC, it's five five and a half thousand meters, and I know instantly you'd be thinking, oh, it's going to be super cold, and it is chilly, but it's not like it's not super cold. It's just all about this dry air. So for me, <clears throat> I do run cold um uh but i don't often wear a pair of gloves up there um it's only on those exceptionally day exceptional days where it's a bit more of a bite in the wind and i just take something that's i, I prefer a windproof but like you know a thin pair of primaloft type summary type um gloves um i was just looking on your site earlier actually and your rap m14s are you know a bit techy but just something small like that it's yeah. got a bit lots of dexterity uh there's a windproof. like i said packs down small though yeah. so yeah yeah, yeah. Because if you go, you know, it's all about that weight. Go back to my flight. I've got 15k. I'm, yeah. I've got to really consider it. So just something like I don't. I personally don't take just sort of a fleecy pair. I like a wind, uh, like a windproof membrane yeah. in there, yeah. basically. Yeah, that makes a big, a big difference keeping the wind out. And um, but conversely, you need thick, fluffy socks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I think like um, I, I tend to sort of go for like summer weight socks. You know where like i just again i i do run cold but like i've never had my feet super cold right. and even like that height and even in a summer pair of like flexible boots i mean the boots i wear aren't sort of like the running type boots if that makes sense you know mm -hmm. sort of running yeah, trail yeah. shoes i've got like an ankle support where yeah, they are yeah. super thin they are they are actually like summer weight sorry summer b1 walking mountain type boots but like, i've just uh, a three season sock works really well for me and I, I guess like, um, you know, if you're going, if you're going higher or something like that, or you run perhaps a, a bit colder than to me, I know it's hard to measure, but then like um, maybe have an, just an, you know, a single pair of warmer socks, for example, within your bag, that would make sense. Yeah. Nice for changing into in the tent. Well, I think yeah. Wayne, well, we, uh, we're, we're about out of time. We're, we are, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Thanks very much, Paul. That was absolutely fascinating. Oh, yeah, we could, we could. I think we could have talked for hours on the on that. So that was uh, episode twenty three. Uh, kit lists for Everest Base Camp. I, I think that's going to be another that we're going to have to revisit um, and and talk to you at, at greater length. I think on some of that. But oh, thank you. That. Yeah, you're most welcome. <laughs> so, Paul, um, your website. Would you like to just uh, uh, remind people where they can go to um, learn more about your trips? Yeah, brilliant. Thanks. It's uh, paulpaulmountaineering.co.uk and everything um, is on there, basically. Fantastic. <laughs> Hopefully self-explanatory. <laughs> brilliant. I think I it's great. Look, It's a great looking website. I've got to say, I was just having a quick look before we, we started recording. I've, yeah, fantastic. Oh, he's shopping again. He's shopping yeah, again. Yeah, <laughs> always, <laughs> always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit different to pop into Jay Brown's though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well yeah of course you can pop into joe brown's to buy your <laughs> finest tripping equipment or you can pop into exactly. the climate shop in ambleside um yeah. you, we have of course all of our um range online at www.climbers-shop.com and then of course there's heaps of extra information um around all of the equipment that we sell on the um joe brown outdoor academy and, and that is www jbrownoutdooracademy.com where you can also find a link to Paul's business so um, get shopping <laughs>